0: This is Coda Radio, episode 412 for May 3rd, 2021. Hello friend and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the whole world of technology around it. This episode is brought to you by a Cloud Guru. A Cloud Guru now includes cloud playground, Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. <laughs> get certified, get hired, get learning. At a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and this special edition of the Coda Radio program finds me all by myself because Mike is out on assignment. But fear not, I have a special, special episode for you. I have the privilege of sharing a wonderful chat between our very own Wes Payne and Brunch Master Brent. It is definitely a wide ranging conversation, it's a deep dive into a swath of life, including Wes's approach to learning new things and his definition of his kind of work, which I think is unique and different, as well as thoughts on meditation and improving productivity and the importance of context and comprehension to just entropy and the evolutions of routines and creativity. I'm not kidding you. It is a wide ranging conversation and it's a perfect one for our audience who has to think about work in multiple different ways. So before we go back in time to that conversation, I want to thank our sponsor, Linode. Linode.com slash Coder. Go there to receive a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. And, of course, you support the Coder Radio program. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode. That's how we host everything now. They are our go-to hosting provider, and they give us the tools to develop, deploy, and maintain all of the functions we need to operate at the scale we do with the size of the team that we have. I cannot emphasize that point enough. Linode makes it possible for us to do things way beyond what a small team could normally grasp. That's what's great, because their prices are 35 to 50% less than shops like AWS, like Big Cloud over there at AWS. And Linode's been around since 2003. They were the first in this game, and they have focused on getting this right since then. And with 11 data centers worldwide, you're going to find just the right spot to deploy for you. And you're going to rest easily knowing that Linode's built-in monitoring tools have you covered. Just simple things like that. Like I get emails when a system reaches a certain threshold on memory usage or network usage. Man, just watching that stuff is a fantastic indicator about what's going on with your system. But maybe you want something even simpler, like just beautiful, accessible, S3-compatible object storage in the cloud. I love Linode's S3-compatible object storage. What is it? Well, if you don't know, object storage is an easy way for you to store and access data without the need of running an entire server, you know, with its whole OS and everything, in front of that. You can get just URL-accessible storage either for yourself or you can flip it to public. It's a great way to run a static website or host some files. We use it internally as a dynamic way to automatically add storage for our PeerTube instance and for our NextCloud instance. So we're not constantly battling with storage limitations and accidentally using too much for a project that we're going to have around for three months that throws everything into whack. I mean, this actually solves problems that have literally broken a NextCloud deployment Before, when I just totally ran out of storage. It's embarrassing, but I just don't have the time to manage this stuff. And so using Linode's tools to monitor and manage this and take care of some of these things, it is such a time saver at the price point that Linode is offering. It's just a no-brainer. They're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. So go to linode.com slash coder, receive that $100 60-day credit, and support the show. And of course, of course, try out all the features I've been talking about forever. It's Linode.com slash Coder. All right, like I said, it really is a special privilege to introduce this conversation to you. I take you back in time to brunch with Wes Payne.
1: Well, hi, Wes. Hello, Brent. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. I see your smiling face.
2: Oh, well, come on. That's just because you're so nice.
1: And it's not always smiling. That's why I appreciate it.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. I think I try to smile in the appropriate contexts. I hope I accomplish such things. You but... don't want
1: a false smile.
2: So we're doing brunch here, and you actually did participate in some brunch. Uh, how was that?
1: That was lovely. You made me an excellent, excellent frittata.
2: <laughs> I did. And uh, Chris got a little bit of that down his gullet as well. Mm-hmm. It
1: was it was good. I'm a little picky about my eggs from time oh. to time. Um but it was excellent.
2: All right. Just to warm you up for our uh, session here. Mm -hmm. This is kind of neat for me, Wes. I'm sitting in the hot seat here, which is Chris's seat. Yeah. You're sitting in your usual seat, so this is totally normal (laughs) for (laughs) you, right? Um, But it's cool. Um, We've had the opportunity this week to uh, hang out with the crew.
1: Oh, yeah. So much hanging out.
2: And we had, well, tell me, what were the things that kind of stood out for you? Some food, some, some conversations and stuff?
1: I really enjoyed the ad hoc collaboration and just sort of people mixing and mashing ideas and all being nerdy about like a ton of different topics, some of them show related, some of them just like life things.
2: Lots of music being uh, bounced around as Mm -hmm. well,
1: I noticed. And Chris, I think, did a good job of trying to uh, show everyone the virtues of living in the Pacific Northwest. So while I did not attend all of those, I was very glad that other people got to see the beautiful landscapes around here.
2: Right. I mean, you're... You're a local, so you, you've you already been converted, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, or converted by default, shall mm-hmm. we say. Right. Uh, have you ever um, lived anywhere else? Like, you've you've been in Seattle, and I know you grew up a little bit further down. Yeah, I grew up in little, Olympia. Slightly south. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you lived in any other cities?
1: I lived in Bellingham for a oh, while, and okay. then I lived in Everett.
2: So all sort of in this little corridor mm-hmm. here. Yeah,
1: the I-5 corridor. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah
2: and so uh totally your backyard very much so what i but there's
1: still plenty to discover let me tell you
2: yeah i i was just about to say what i really appreciate is when you can sort of become a tourist in your own backyard yes and so i know chris we ended up well he's never been to those ice caves Mm. and i don't know if you've ever been
1: Uh, no i have not
2: okay so that's always fun when you can like Both be the tour guide and also the tourist at the same time. Yeah,
1: right. Let's go check out this fun thing together. Well, maybe it's fun. We'll find out.
2: Right. Uh, I have to say for myself, um, moving to a different city is totally eye-opening in the sense that it breaks all your routines and you have to build them all back up. You got to find all your
1: new places in this new city.
2: Yeah. Was that the same for you when you moved, let's say, to Bellingham?
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, I I really do like that sort of... um, got to work out what new routines and there's whole different sections of the city and there's something i mean i think about it more on the trail maybe but it definitely applies in cities of that when you don't really know what's around the bend and all the like it might be terrible right it might just be like a dump that's around the bend and and you don't know until you walk around it and that's a lot of the fun but you also get all the enjoyment of before you know all the things you imagine might be around the bend right and that's just fun as you continue finding more bends and you know whatever eventually map out a new area
2: what you're describing also makes me think that you could be describing sort of a, a learning journey through i don't know <laughs> yeah, some, right. some linux or, oh or whatever gosh, right almost any definitely. learning journey is if if you're excited about what's around the bend or excited enough it might take you around the bend and, right and then you're on to a whole other adventure
1: that's one thing I like about living in, in a slightly larger city, living in Seattle. It's just that, I mean, I haven't been there that long, really. and But there's still tons of places, you know. I mean, neighborhoods, have, I think I've probably been to all of them, at least in passing. But it doesn't mean I know anything about them.
2: There's a gentleman I saw, uh, it's actually a film that I watched um, on the way here. So, um, perfect setup. Is uh, It was a film that I shared with Cheese um, about a gentleman who decided to walk every single street in New York. Oh, In every, I think he said the five boroughs. Now, I don't quite know New York but that some, well.
1: Right, some big subset. Of-
2: That's it. And so he decided to do this because he realized much like you that you can go to each neighborhood but you kind of have these loop patterns that you follow mm-hmm. and you may live in a neighborhood but only go down maybe you know 20% of those streets in your daily routine because right. um, of course we all have routines and all that kind of stuff. So is his, this is the way that I walk I yeah. mean,
1: partly because it's Seattle and that's the flat way but <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, well path of least resistance right? Mm, right. But what was fascinating to me about that is is how There could be a street, one street over, that even though there's proximity, you just never spend any time on it.
1: Yes, right.
2: And so forcing yourself into adventure is, uh, I think, a really good tool to open your eyes to some new um, ideas,
1: even. It's funny, too, like, you you do have to keep the mindset. I mean, so, like, even just during this this sprint, um, I discovered a, a nice little new Mexican joint right by the hotel where people were staying. I've into the grocery store in that same region. But I never even considered, you know, it was always either to or from the studio. I had a mission. I had a job to do. I never thought about just meandering around looking for goodies. <laughs> and it pays off. It does pay off.
2: The Mexican was pretty great. You, you grabbed it and it was great. Tell me a little bit about how you do that adventuring journey through learning, because I know you are a huge fan of learning new things and you're you seem to be, um, okay with deep dives and just like, uh, collecting knowledge, if you
1: will. That's an interesting question. I mean, I probably should know more about how those processes work. Um, just in a conversation earlier, we kind of hit on something, uh, something you said think about thinking in systems that I think definitely applies to me, um, it's sometimes frustrating when you're learning something new and you know how much there is to learn and you know how much you don't know. But you don't know what the most efficient routes are going to be, yeah. right? And you don't you don't yet have the systems and I really struggle more than I think that I should sometimes to be like, well, I know I could just like follow that tutorial and I could go like run the commands, but I'm going to be fighting myself the whole way through because each step I'm going to want to go dig and dive around that. It won't Figure get me nearer today. to the goal of what I'm trying to accomplish, but I really want to know all the theory as or before I'm, like, trying to do the practice. And that does not always work out well.
2: Well, it doesn't work out well in the sense that it it's time-consuming. And also, you might not have a good idea of where to head to get that knowledge. Yes,
1: yeah. right. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I would say generally the outcomes are good. It's just not always the most efficient for the task at okay. hand. I, I do think the flip side of that is if I'm going to put that much time into something, do gen, generally learn it very well because i do focus so much on the systems and theory side that you get. You know, once you do have the, the practice which you need, you can combine those very effectively.
2: Yeah, you build like these really robust models right. that, if you if you dedicate to that particular sphere, uh, and it turns out to be a useful one for you long term, then then you've got this amazing base to work off of. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I've sometimes run into is not catching myself soon enough, so I'll, I'll do these deep dives and build these really great systems for things I then decide are obsolete or not, not actually solving the problems I'm trying yes. to solve, right?
1: And it's hard to, you know, if you like what you're learning, if you're curious and you're having fun playing with it, it is really, it takes a lot of willpower sometimes to be like, no brain. This, yeah. is, this is not the track you need to be on right now. Like, go try this other boring thing that you, will probably work.
2: A new rule I tried to implement for myself recently is um, to try to not learn something I'm not going to use immediately.
1: Nice. Yeah. Uh,
2: which is easy to state and harder to implement. But for me, learning is such a, a driver for some of my sort of uh, mental processes what do you mean um in that if i get curious then i'll want to dive in immediately and every new piece of information makes me even more
1: curious mm, so sort of compound
2: yeah which is which is great because i think a lifelong learning journey is sort of very useful mm-hmm. um, however learning itself can be a sort of procrastination
1: oh yeah right,
2: right. And so I can learn lots and be fascinated and very entertained by my learning, but it may not necessarily be relevant. That's why you to know so aid. much
1: about the Baroque period. I see.
2: You've got it. You've got it. <laughs> um, so how about for you developing models about learning things that you aren't jazzed about? Because sometimes we're, we need to learn stuff that doesn't necessarily excite us to reach a goal that does. Yeah, that's true.
1: That is, That is true. You know, I I could probably be better at that. Um, oftentimes I've ended up dealing with that either by making it so that I don't have, you know, whatever my role or the task at hand is changing so that I can get by with learning it in a shallow way and not committing myself Right. or working with people who are better at not over diving and having them do that part. So I've had some of the best collaborators I've had have been kind of been like a little more on the practical side and been like, okay, Wes, like, you can do a lot of the like, you know, ideating and thinking and explore random paths and kind of find interesting things that we might want, and then I'll handle some more of the like, well, I'll test each of these things or you know, or like just sort of the boring parts that make it all work, which I can certainly do as well. But I've encountered another class of individual who they don't care to this level. They just don't obsess about it in the same way that we're talking about. <laughs> and I find that really nice to work with.
2: Because they're complimenting
1: Right. Yeah. They can be like, well, yeah, whatever. I just like Read the docs and found the little piece that I needed and And left it. Yeah, Yeah. and I'm like, okay, that's great. How can you do that? And then I stop asking because I'm like, well, the whole point of this is I'm not going to (laughs) ask. Would
2: you? Would you then describe yourself as um, a really good support role in that sense? That if you have someone driving sort of the direction, then you can do the deep dives in the areas that are really obviously
1: helpful. Yeah, kind of. It can be either side, I suppose, Um, and it depends on. I guess, how interested I am in the overall... Because I I can, right? If it's going to be something that I don't... If if I don't have the vision for the overall, whatever, task, project, then I I am totally happy to be like, well, whatever, I'll take the corner that I'm interested in and learn that to the best of my ability. Um, If I care about it a lot, then I have a more difficult role. Uh, If I really am interested in care, then I I struggle to not be one... Not necessarily in charge, but at least let's say, consulted about major decisions that affect that.
2: Yeah, fair enough.
1: So it's not there's not a lot in the middle, I guess. <laughs> Interesting.
2: It's so good to know, though, how, how you function, right? I mm-hmm. think if what a gift it would be if we all came with our own instruction manuals. Oh, but, man, uh, that would be nice. It seems like most of our roles is simply to figure out how we function.
1: Maybe you have really good people around you who are able to give you some feedback, but right. most of the time that doesn't seem to be the case.
2: Yeah, that's the real gift in some mentors, right? Some of the best mentors can can see your best and your worst and right. and use both of those as tools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are there any mentors that did that for you or helped you learn more about yourself?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I mean, surely, yes, there are.
2: I've stumped Wes. You're hearing it for here first.
1: Yeah, you are. <laughs> I might have to think about that one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. I'd like to give a meaningful answer and I... Would need more reflection. I think. Yeah. I I, I was curious about something sort of related. I, I'm wondering if you are also afflicted sometimes. You're talking about not learning stuff. Trying, trying. Yeah. Um, I sometimes find that difficult too. Where there's subjects that I w- am interested in, um, and would like to know more about, but either worry I would spend too much time doing, or mm-hmm. just know what it would take to do it well, and just doesn't seem. You know, it's like. So while I could probably dabble, I don't. And I'm wondering if that's maybe a net detriment to me. Like there's probably areas that I could enjoy doing a little bit, but I don't let myself do because I think I should do them more.
2: Is it linked to perfectionism in any way? Like, mm, Yeah, maybe. And do you find that to be I a do problem? have a
1: little streak of that from time to time.
2: Yeah, I would say actually that that has been both a real guide for me um, and a real detriment to me. Uh, in the sense that a lesson I've learned recently that's very helpful is to B plus is generally my B plus my self evaluation of mm. a B plus generally right. is, is really good for most other people. And I'm not trying to put myself on some kind of pedestal, but having this like deeply set perfectionism, um, can get me really caught up in trying to solve things that just don't matter for anybody else.
1: Mm, yeah, right. And it's hard to replace that in whatever activity, right? Like if you don't really care about it, that won't be as good. Or the flip side, like you're saying, that if you do really care about it, then you probably end up wasting some time on details that don't matter. But you also catch a lot of details that other people might miss.
2: Yeah. For you, um, you describe not wanting to dabble in a specific project. Is there something that comes to mind for that?
1: Uh, I've thought about doing more rock climbing, which is something I enjoy, but and have many friends who enjoy, but I have not dove in to any serious degree. Um, that it, probably also applies to music.
2: Right, because you... I, I know did it. music
1: a lot in my youth, but it, and I mean, I do a little music here and there now, but not really anything.
2: Yeah, I know that you have a little bit of brass in you, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played French horn and trumpet for...
2: I was going to say flugelhorn, but I knew that was wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, uh, I did. Uh, in marching band, play the mellophone, which is I don't know what this is. Uh, it's like a marching version of the French horn. Okay, yeah. Um, it has a slightly different sound, but it has that still has that interesting sort of not quite muted, but more mellow tone okay. uh, that you think of with the French horn. Hmm. Uh, it was. It was. But it, instead of having the rotary valves of a French horn, uh, it had valves like a trumpet does interesting yeah it it, it was fun to play i'd never heard of it either but it was was a lot of fun and that was kind of nice as like a big trumpet but with just like a giant bell on the end still about the same holding size and a lot of the fingerings were the same so it was really easy to just pick up and play and you could make a whole bunch of noise (laughs) which is really the best part about marching band
2: (laughs) you just go out there and just you're the loudest one yeah Yeah, right right. nice (laughs) um and so how do you um perceive the link between music and math because i know you have a huge interest in math as well and i've heard often that those two kind of go together even though they don't seem that they should
0: Mm
1: -hmm. well i mean there's a lot of um you know rhythms and uh, periodicity in music obviously but in a more fundamental level sort of belaying all the surface level details there do seem to be some similar just sort of like ways about thinking or maybe maybe it's not even that they have to be similar but some of the patterns or styles of creativity needed for music can apply well to math or tech related things cuz i think you know obviously people see music as creative even when it and and it is but miss the side of of, of being wrote and and played back and and recited right um and then see that side to Math or computing or whatever, and miss the more creative side. But often those are the more important role.
2: It's interesting that you brought in tech there because that's often a um, that's often an area that is not necessarily seen as creative.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true.
2: And yet, with anyone who's doing some pretty deep problem solving in tech, has um, to be like it's, it's yeah. necessary, right?
1: Yeah, I mean there is a lot of value in being a practitioner and being a good, reliable, repeatable practitioner. But most of the things that end up, you know, at least at the, the upper echelons or the more interesting work is you're, you're kind of at the edge. No one's done that specific thing. There's no pattern. Or there might be some, you know, there are some patterns, but you're making that specific bespoke thing. It's, right. you, you're, it's a craft.
2: It's up to you to combine all of the toolboxes right. you've
1: gathered. And... and that's where, like, really caring about it matters or... I, I I like to think so. You can totally not, you can just, you know, you can cookie cutter, you can work on some of the less interesting stuff, you can just apply techniques that you've learned and move on and solve the problem, and that's the right thing to do in, in many cases. Um, I, I just can't, I can't operate that way, you know, <laughs> like if I'm not going to really care about what it is that I'm doing or like at least be really interested in some aspects of it and think about it a lot,
2: wouldn't want to do it since we're talking about mental models, Mm. I've built this model in my mind that there's a a range between um, on one end, there's the technician and on the other end, there's the artist or the creative, right? right? And while you can be on either end, um, there's often this scale. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me, easy to see in my own photography is that there are very artistic photographers
0: Mm.
2: who aren't necessarily technically sound, but if they can get to the point where they're, technical ability is enough right.
1: good enough they can get the shot that, that
2: they, they can want. get the artistry through then mm. that has a certain um positive impact right and you can have technicians which are really they're they're fabulous at the nitty-gritty of settings and and lighting and things mm. like this but they don't necessarily have the artistry and there's obviously the whole scale
1: right everything uh, in between there
2: yeah, and I imagine that's much the same for what we were just discussing, which is that um, you can have very technical uh, implementers of solutions in tech and also the artists who mm-hmm. tend to, to craft the initial projects or the initial solutions and then someone else maintains it.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. And maybe you can throw like the like research arm somewhere yeah, in enough. here. Um, so you have some ideas spinning out of this idea factory and then... There's like the middle layer of people that can find good ideas. Maybe they don't come up with them out of whole cloth, but sort of steward, shepherd them, help them grow, evaluate them. And then maybe there's a, another few layers of people that you say, yeah, actually go operate the thing, you know, turn that into a repeatable pattern that gets standardized. Because there are, there is a lot of value in that, right? Like oh, you're saying, like you want people that are focused on repeatability and reliability and just smooth running, yeah, I can play that role, but it's probably not my favorite. No.
2: Uh, for you, is it more interesting then to to come in and build something and then hand that off to someone?
1: Somewhere in the middle. I guess, I mean, I enjoy a lot of the, the different aspects. Um, it can be neat when you do a little bit of all. Um, the flip side challenge of that, of course, is you don't often get to control wh- how what the relative amounts of each unit of those are. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it kind of depends. But I don't. I don't think I could be happy long term in probably in on stuck on either extreme of those. Right. You know, too much of anything. Yeah, and I think you also need some people and good people in the middle who can talk to both sides, because there's a lot to learn, and that's yeah. been some of the problems, at least in the software side, we've seen that we're trying to get over as an industry is not having enough feedback between the people making the ideas and the people actually using the ideas.
2: Isn't that true? Yeah. For sure, we're seeing that on the desktop, but I imagine in. For you, you've seen that in a lot of the infrastructure that you've built throughout the years as well. Mm-hmm.
1: And you just end up with, yeah, perverse patterns, not good communication. Angry people. Right. Because you can make it work in lots of ways. You just need information and communication to flow. Right.
2: You know, they say that for relationships, but I suppose right. that's true of most things is that communication is is key, right? If you're, mm-hmm. if you're working on the wrong problem, then it uh, doesn't matter how fancy the solution you come up with.
1: Right. And you have to constantly evaluate that because as we were talking about earlier you know like yeah there's these uh, there's inertia to some of these ideas and to what you want to work on and what you are working on important to manage that yeah
2: um for you in some of your previous roles outside of jb um were you working with really big teams and is moving to jb like a, a much smaller team or you're generally generally working in small groups
1: i have been part of some larger teams um although Most of my previous experience have been about the JB size, maybe a little bit bigger, um, usually embedded in a larger sort of corporate structure, I'd say, um, or working with a larger array of other teams that I would work with closely. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been on the opposite side where I've had, you know, um, one of my longer term positions, um, I was just working basically with one other person most of the time. Right. Thankfully, I really enjoyed working with that. Yeah, person.
2: I was just about thinking that cha- that can change things, right?
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, that's on almost kind of what we were talking about earlier. Is he really complimented me in that he uh, was he was very practical, very much happy to just you know did not didn't fuss, was totally willing to just bang something out and not be a perfectionist about it at all. So we made a very effective pair, I think.
2: And this was someone who was like side by side on the hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We were basically a two-person team managing a bunch of um, internal tooling for a company.
2: Okay. And was it someone who had the foresight to place both of you together because they saw the strengths and weaknesses of each? Or was it just happenstance?
1: No, it was um, organic survival, I think. <laughs> um, you know, because we just kind of found he he did happen to be the person who trained me. Um, okay. But we worked different times uh, after the training period. Uh, I think it just kind of came together that we both had a, you know, drive to do other things. So we wanted to move in from where we were at presently and... I think I value that he was very competent, you know, and just like knew what was wrong. Or if he was writing code that was sloppy, it was managed expectations it was clear communication. Like, look, I just did this thing. It's not perfect, whatever. Like I did it to solve this problem. It's solved. Do you have input? And then move on. Uh, and then I think he liked in me that I was willing to spend a little more time with the ideas that that made sense to and would find, you know optimizations or other ideas or total alternatives that he just wouldn't have spent the time to think about.
2: Right. It's almost like you're more willing to invest in the projects to see them be smoother long term.
1: So he would call it West work. And so there'd be, you know, there'd be like shares of stuff where it's like, oh man, like, I don't know, like you deal with that. And then there'd be the other share where he'd be like, well, that's West work. And you go research those topics right. and come back to me with what you think we should do. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: And there were no clashes during the training. Cause I, I have often experienced that, um, when you're teaching someone something, you can have all these different styles. And I imagine for two people who sort of operate differently in their minds, that there would be a, a difference in style.
1: Yeah, that is true that it can often be very difficult. Not that I remember. No, uh, I think I think this individual in particular happens to be very direct. Um, I think I think that helped, and doesn't. Be, I think because of the personality we're describing, doesn't have a lot of ego tied up in that knowledge. I mean, if you question his performance or something, he was proud of or You know, whatever normal human operations there, but. You know, well, it didn't have to be this battle of, like, well, do you know this or not? And there's no, like, right. passive aggressiveness about what you knew or didn't knew. And, yeah, just no no games.
2: Sounds like a great collaboration, really. Mm-hmm.
1: Man. Yeah, it was It was. Re- I was time to move on from that job when I did. But Fair like, enough. that was the, the hardest part was that I just never worked with someone so closely. Because, I don't know, like, in school and things, I enjoy collaboration. I do. And, I mean, I suppose I'd have to work in here now. Fair enough. Sometimes you know what you're doing. Uh, I love teaching. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you know what you're doing. I don't always enjoy the rocky road. Like, I don't mind check-ins, you know? Uh, So, like, I played around some ideas, come back after a couple hours, meet, discuss where everyone got. But I really found I didn't enjoy more active collaboration, at least in some domains, where I just wanted to be left alone and think and just do it by myself. So I would often find myself in roles of, like, on projects. I would just make myself the editor or whatever, you know, be like, right, you guys go do your things. I'll tie this up together and make it look nice at the end.
2: Would you tie that into introvertedness for you?
1: Hmm. That's a good question.
2: You know, I read this really great book called Quiet, which the, it, it's a very well-known book. And I forget the author now. It's, it's Susan Cain. Mm, okay. This was a book that was recommended to me. And when I re- read it, um, it taught me so much about my own inner workings. Oh, interesting. So it's one of those books that enlighten you about yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. That's useful.
2: Which are some of my favorite books. Yeah. Um, but it did so in a way that made me more of aware of the methods I needed to use in teamwork to produce the best work. Because I know for myself, if I'm constantly interrupted or if I don't have the time to hyper-focus, which mm-hmm. takes me a long time to get into, right. then I can never create my best work. And it sounds, at least I see similarities for you, mm-hmm. even when you have really good collaborations, even with just one person.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. No, Absolutely. Like I guess I get, just, I get tired of sort of like should we explore this idea or not, and people have different notions. And I, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. like we can talk about if it's right or not. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just going to explore the ideas I want to explore. Yeah, and it seems to work mostly. I mean, I find it honestly, I find it very different that the at least in that style. Maybe it's just maybe it's age. Maybe it's different subject matter because a lot of those interactions were around math and physics and a little more not not creative, but a little a little more right and wrong binary sort of things. I don't I don't have that experience really at all, I would say, working JB. That may also be the the people involved too. There's a lot of variables. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I do I do agree with you though. I find myself in the same boat. I do need time to think and while I can operate under pressure, you're right, I wouldn't do my best work that way. You know, it would be much better to just go like give me 20 minutes i'm gonna yeah. go for here in the closet and then i'll come back out and then we'll have your thing that you need that sounds so familiar right um i'm very impressed by people that can operate in other styles you know some even some of our team members at jb it's like doing all number of tasks at the same time and multiplexing and i just it doesn't make sense to me
2: yeah some of us can require pressure to perform
1: mm, yeah that's true
2: um it is, I, I found for myself that it is true that, I, same as you, it's true that I can perform under pressure and quite well when I need to, but the level of exhaustion is quite high. So I can do that for a short period of
1: time. Mm, right. Before you just burn out.
2: That's it. Or like you said, if you give me 20 minutes with headphones away from the world, right. then uh, right. then I'll get it done faster.
1: Nothing like being watched while you work too, you know, just makes it, everything goes slower. Someone over your shoulder, mm-hmm. right? Depends on what you're doing, of course, and, and how well you know it. But I, there is probably an aspect to what you're asking, like with the introverted sense. Probably some of that, at least, is maybe not introvertedness, but um, not desiring excess conflict. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm conflict averse necessarily, but like in that example, I just would get tired of like, I don't want to argue about this right now. You know, like yeah. it's just not worth my time to debate this.
2: Well, and I've picked up. On you being quite agreeable as well,
1: <laughs> I suppose that's the um, flip flip side of saying that, yeah.
2: Right. So you, can, which is a gift, because everybody likes you, uh, <laughs> and it can also be a bit of a challenge in that other people's ideas sometimes trump your own, even in your own mind. Mm. Uh, I say that from personal experience because I'm I'm quite agreeable as well, and sometimes you put your own ideas on the back burner simply because someone else is willing to fight stronger for theirs.
1: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you know, there's a... Um, the fight costs me more than it does to them. So I have right. to care more about the idea to make it worth it. Ah, huh, that's fascinating. I like that. This um, compatriot that I really enjoyed work with, yeah. he complimented me there as well. He, he's happy to argue about anything, just to just to argue about it. Okay. Uh, so that worked out nicely, too.
2: Because you'd just give up sooner and he'd win? Well,
1: and I could just let him fight the battle. You know, I could back him up with, with whatever research and oh, as a and, team. As a team. Would, yeah, oh, exactly. that's fascinating. But he was willing to push a little bit more. And then, I mean, if he's going to do it, then... I'm going to support
2: it. Yeah, case. of course. It's easy to support. <laughs> it's easy that, right? to support. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. So you're saying I just need to find myself someone who's willing to fight my fights. I think so. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now, if I had them, I'd, I'd be willing to rent. But unfortunately, we no longer work together. <laughs> Do you ever? Um, I don't think we necessarily struggle for this, but sometimes if you have multiple agreeable people, decisions never get yeah, made. Yeah, they they won't agree or right. won't be able to. There's not enough care in one direction. Like if I said, "Hey Wes,
2: uh, what kind of pizza would you like?"
1: See that? I think I could decide. Really? Yeah. It depends t- too. You know, there's um there's sort of like an open and a closed agreeability. That's true. I'm not worried about telling you what kind of pizza I want because I know that if you you're agreeable but you're also open enough to the interaction we're having that you would tell me if you if you weren't interested in that pizza. But there's some types of agreeable I think that that's not true and then I worry more about that yeah. and then might not want to suggest a thing because I don't, you know, it, it just gets a little more complicated.
2: These internal processes right. are just fascinating. And once you start picking up on them for yourself and also for others, you those interactions, like those non-language interactions that happen between two people trying to decide what kind of pizza to have... <laughs> Can
1: be fascinating. Yes. It's even harder when, I mean, at least we are talking about pizza and I kind of know like what pizza I like. It's right. even worse when you take it one layer up. Like, what do you want to eat? Oh. that you know? Like I'll, one person's hungry. Like, what do you want to eat?
2: One trick I got from Tim Ferriss that really helped me from his book, 4-Hour Week was to, instead of asking, what does everyone want to eat? Especially if you're in a group of like three people or more. Right. There basically will be no answer, no useful answer given, or you won't even, you'll just get on to it different topic entirely but quickly derailed. Uh, oh right? yeah oh yeah we saw we we see that all <laughs> the time right but what i've been trying to implement and i haven't thought about it in a while so either i've succeeded or failed i'm not sure we'll find um out. is to instead of asking the question what would you like to have is to put out a suggestion right and ask if that works mm-hmm. and when i have practiced this i've noticed a big difference in everyone's level of um Agreeing to ideas and the the speed at which these ideas can happen. So in working with, in teams, right. uh, this could save a lot of time. You know, you're coming to it with solutions instead of just questions.
1: All of that, I think, applies. I mean, because the thing about this, you know, creative work, it's kind of the same, like the open, closed. Because it can be really useful to have someone start, even if it's a, just a terrible idea, right? But just to throw it out there and sort of get the ball rolling. But that re- requires enough openness and trust in the group that you can feel confident that, like, that idea doesn't represent you. It's just a thing. You're just saying it right here, which is often true for what do you want to eat, but doesn't always carry over to what should we title the report?
2: They're both brainstorming in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um and what's interesting is that everyone has a stake, right? And so right. so some of the... I, I read a really great book that was given to me by my uncle, who is almost identical to me. Uncle, like, I'm a is younger... his name also Brett? Can
1: we call him Uncle Brett? You could. His name is
2: actually Ray Allen. He's a great, great guy. Oh, okay. um, but he has, taught me, <laughs> he has taught me a lot about my own inner workings, in that he's kind of a few um, decades ahead of me Future and has Brett. all this experience right. and dilutes that into what is helpful for me at my own stage of life, which is That's if you can amazing. find someone like that for yourself, Boy. it is fabulous.
1: Um, uh, does it work if I like just try to talk to like a face app aged picture of myself?
0: <laughs> you could start there. Cause I'm doing that already. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'll sneak in here if I can borrow the studio for a moment and tell everyone about Datadog. Let's go solve some problems and analyze code level performance across your entire environment and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. Datadog Datadog.com slash radio. Go there to get a 14-day trial, and if you set up a dashboard and use that URL... You can also get a free Datadog t-shirt. Datadog's continuous profiler automatically collects profiles from your production servers all the time. I'm talking the entire stack, everyone, like the whole dang thing from the metal all the way up to the applications. So you can analyze any of that data you need quickly with minimal overhead. And you get a unified picture of your environment by correlating code performance metrics with your other monitoring data with these beautiful, gorgeous, fantastic, slick, real-time dashboards. You should go to datadog.com slash coderadio just to see the dashboards. But now they have over 450 integrations that allow you to do tracing and log management and that continuous profiler all in one platform. I mean, they're actually talking and analyzing your applications too. Can you imagine how this enables you to visualize and communicate across your team? Datadog gives you the tools to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever. So go try Datadog's products for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash And like I said, for a limited time, if you start that free trial and you create one dashboard, you're going to get a free Datadog t-shirt. Free swag. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio.
2: Back to this book. Um, this book he gave me, which he gave to me like 10 years before I read it. Oh, right. Wow. This is the kind of book you're like, I think that's really interesting and yet not interesting enough to dive into. But I finally did. It's called The Six Thinking Hats. And it's all about simply, um, it's a brainstorming that sounds interesting. technique. interesting. hmm um, and I'm sure we can link to a Wikipedia page that would describe this a little bit more sensibly than I, sh- I would. Um, but the the main nugget I got from it is that brainstorming should be a protected area.
1: Right, right.
2: You can do brainstorming with other people in a way that is um, methodical and yet still very creative. And so the process in this book is basically, basically there's six hats and... They all represent a different way of thinking. And, and when, you're in a, when you're in a hat, everyone's wearing, you know, uh, quote you unquote, the hat.
1: Yeah. Or and I forget what they
2: are, but they're fascinating if you want to look into them. And so one of them might be, like, just throw out any idea at all that fits within um, creativity, mm. for instance. Mm-hmm. And so obviously you're going to have some people on the team who are a little bit stronger at that stuff. So that's their time to shine. Right. And yet when you put on different hats, it, it relates to some other team members' strengths. But the most important part for any brainstorming, whether you're trying to decide what kind of ice cream you want or what kind of pizza or, or where to take a certain project, is for it to be, like you said, a protected area where you're not sort of chastised for sending out what are seemingly bad ideas, but might lead to nuggets that are invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I've only recently learned to do well,
1: um, but that I see it being kind oh, of a seems, challenge, yeah, right? right? And I don't know that we all think about it as much as we probably should it's interesting too what you're talking about too like how structure can sometimes provide that Mm. yeah right we all know the rules and like how it's happening
2: it's it's somehow a little bit bizarre to talk about structure and creativity in the same sentence in a way
1: that that's another part i guess like kind of what we're one of the themes in this whole conversation like we have these words and notions but we don't many people do good books right what we're talking about but Generally, we don't necessarily dive into it or try to study or bisect, right? Like, oh, right. you're just creative. Brent, how do you take such good photos? I have no idea. I, I'm not going to conceptualize it <laughs> that And, right, I mean, there is some element of, like, well, you see photos that you want to take and you take them. That's an
2: oversimplification, but I'll take it.
1: But there's there's both a lot of structure and a lot of whatever inherent creativity, artistic sense.
2: So there's this great website that I'm not sure if you know about. It's called Brain Pickings. Tell me more. I believe the author is Mary Popova. And what she does is dives into a lot of literary work uh, and extracts nuggets. And one post I saw that always sticks for me is describing um, the methods that writers use and some really historical writers use to... um, begin their writing process on a daily basis. Right. And so that's the juxtaposition again of structure and creativity, right there. They have applied this structure to their day that optimizes their creative
1: time. Right. Which probably doesn't always fit in whatever other random society imposed structures.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. But what's fascinating about that to me is that you really need to know yourself well to be able to establish that structure in the first mm-hmm. place. Right.
1: Yeah. No one's going to tell you You have to find it.
2: Yeah. And um, do you have any such routines or, well, you were mentioning earlier when you, when you came in that uh, the sprint sort of shook up your routines.
1: That is certainly true. Uh, You know, just changing, having everyone here and doing all kinds of different things. I'd say I'm reforming some routines because I had routines for a more traditional type of a role or at least hours. And I have a few things I'm figuring out. I think that I like, but, I've kind of, uh, gone back to a blank slate at least somewhat and have been actively exploring. I think I do really like sometimes just starting work immediately in the morning, um, which is one advantage of working from home is that you can do that. You do have to then have the flexibility to then, you know, stop at some point and go do like regular morning activities. Right.
2: Like feeding yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Feeding yourself, your animals. I don't know. Maybe going outside, <laughs> that sort of thing. Seeing the world. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> But there's something about this early morning. I'm not generally a morning person. I really like the morning. I'm just bad at going to sleep and enjoy being awake at night. <laughs> it just seems to be what I gravitate to. But I love being up in the morning. So if I can't, but it seems to be the most enjoyable if I've been up the night before, not super later, but, you know, I've been working on the thing, actively engaged, got a good night's sleep, and then I can just, like, jump into it. Because I the mo- early morning hours and then, like, afternoon are probably my, best productivity times.
2: Okay. Do you find that, well, wait a second, I'm going to challenge you there because you mentioned working late night on something.
1: I do also, late night can work. Okay. That's a little more variable. It depends a lot on how the day has gone. I think it was a better time when my job was more predictable. Um, These days, it depends a lot on what happens in the day, how many shows we did, you know, whatever. Uh, And so, late night, isn't always if i have the schedule flexibility and that depends too uh i will sometimes do a hybrid where i'll just go to bed and then wake up at like two and then work from like two to five and
2: that also can be very productive
1: that's two to five a.m yeah wow there's just something about the times when like no one else is up there's no distractions i've heard this before mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. and i think too it is one of the challenges you know with, with like working from home can be dividing mm-hmm. those like when you're doing life things, when you're doing job things, and how do those mingle and where's the border? There's not a lot of border. I mean, like you can just define what you're doing. You know, it's a chunk of time that you don't have any conceptions about. And so you can just assign it to something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And from two to five, nothing else is going to demand of your time. No,
1: I don't, I don't have no plans. Then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> well, the only plan you have is the plan you want.
1: But I've, so I've recently sort of rediscovered that. I knew that. Um, like in, in college, I would frequently, you know, I'd stay up late working and then be like, oh, I'm just like too tired to be productive and then have to wake up early to get the assignment done or whatever. And I think working a more traditional schedule, I kind of forgot about that. So I'm rediscovering it to an extent.
2: There's something to be said about working at your best right. times for you personally. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our nine to fives can really challenge that, even though they're there in place to try to make it easier or more productive for for the general populace but what i've discovered is many for many of us especially in the tech sphere um this late night stuff or early morning stuff is more a jam
1: mm-hmm. i don't know there's something about like the late morning that's just not a productive yep i'm so it's either i'm gonna like sleep in and you know stroll into work at like ten thirty, or you might as well i just, just let me work from like you know Six to nine or something, then I'll come in in the afternoon.
2: Right. So I'm assuming then that you've not had a work from a distance or work from home flexibility in any
1: previous. Uh, I have, uh, but those the hours were still more oh. uh, traditional, and most of them were not totally remote. It would be like a hybrid sort of thing. Okay. So I was still at least in the culture of the office. Right. Just from a slight distance. Just from a slight distance. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and met- so this is kind of the first opportunity, at least in a while, where I can be like, well, if I want to get weird with it, I can. <laughs> Let's shake it up. Yeah, right? Why not? <laughs> uh, and I mean, that happens anyway, right? A lot of the team is on weird schedules just because we all live in different time zones. So We're a little bit all over the world, right? hmm
2: I mean, you look at Joe, yeah. and I will ask him this a little Poor bit more. Poor Joe. Um, Joe has basically set his internal clock to a completely different time zone across the world. So, yes. um, very fascinated about that. Uh, for you, working late night on a project and then sleeping and waking up—you mentioned that works really well for mm-hmm. you. Do you find that the, there's something about the process of sleeping with an idea in your mind that? Oh
1: yeah, definitely. I'm a big proponent of the. Um, one of my favorite people, Rich Hickey, who's the guy who made the cl- Clojure programming language. Uh, he calls it hammock time, but just just really tries <laughs> yeah. to underscore the value of like thinking, you know, and turning things over in your mind before. Doing. Doing is important too, and that's a separate conversation. But uh so I value that a lot. I really enjoy you know, that time when you haven't quite fallen asleep, but you're not quite you're not a hundred percent rational. You're it's like it's not you're lucid, but not totally. Uh I think that is a great time. So that can be a kind of enjoyment too, you know, just like taking a break, having being a little more relaxed, just laying, not worrying. Either maybe you fall asleep, maybe not. It's okay either way. That can be some of the best times you can resolve or just make clear something you're trying to work out. Yeah,
2: there's a real, like, freedom of ideas there right. without constraint. Exactly. And I think we're easy on ourselves in those times because we're like, wow, I, we bye, I could just, like, that's kind of like dreaming and I don't need to commit to anything.
1: Yes, yeah, so you don't have to follow it down. You may not even write it down. You can just... It's a true it.
2: exploration, isn't it? mm mm-hmm. um, Have you done any meditation? Because I know that meditation can sometimes...
1: Oh, yeah. No, I am. Um, I, that's one of the things that has been sort of disrupted in my routine lately uh i definitely enjoy meditation i could probably stand to do it on a more regular basis but it is a usual part of some of my routines
2: (laughs) okay and do you find it useful for you um to gain just general clarity or more of an
1: idea sphere um yeah i guess i it can it can be both um the ideas sphere is maybe a more constrained activity uh or at least Not constrained in what it is, but constrained in time and place. But for general meditation, I find it very useful just to set the tone and um, whatever. I'm going to call it brain tone, but, you know, like the the thematics of how your day is going and what you're thinking about. Because it's so easy to get trapped in like random little brain loops where you're thinking about something good or bad that might not be what you should really be thinking about or want to be thinking about. Uh, And it seems like one of the more useful tools I have also, especially like with more creative work or different timelines, trying to bring a sense of priority and understanding to all of the things that might be going on at a time.
2: Like collecting all the things and sorting them Mm -hmm. like a triage.
1: Yeah, but but in a peaceful, you know, not in a a hurry way and not focusing on any of them, but just sort of I guess I would say it's more of like an acknowledgement. It's sort of, you know, you're looking around the room and being like, yep, all right, that's over there. I see, yes, in the corner too. And there's no judgments. There's no, Mm -hmm. as as little emotion as you can and just sort of accepting that those are there. And then when you're done, now you have the time to go engage with the ones.
2: Right. I found often in that, for me, um, items that have otherwise been forgotten tend to start floating up. Yes. And I'm not sure where they come from or who's <laughs> asking them to float. Um, but that can really um, bring to mind some things that, in a what I'll call a waking state, but a non-meditative state, I suppose, <laughs> our everyday state, our usual operating state, <laughs> yeah. um, it are things that get sort of forgotten despite their importance. It's almost like a scale from importance to urgency. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what we're aware of immediately is what's urgent. Yes. Uh, but isn't necessarily what's most important No, it's important frequently not, right?
1: And there's a lot of urgent things I have to do all the time that, mm-hmm. while an important part of my life are not something I would think of as an overarching, bigger sort of goal or task or anything. Yeah, that that is true, right? Because a lot of the themes in your life are like, you know, uh, things you're proud of, things you've committed to, things you've built or learned or enjoyed – and most of the time, those are not the urgent things. They're the things you have to plan for or think about a lot to be able to actually do and probably takes time to look back and actually appreciate. Right. And the rest of it's all like, well, the trash has to go out. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. <laughs> it's got to vacuum again. <laughs> yeah, we don't have robots for all that stuff yet. Well, some of us do.
2: Well, I'm with you. <laughs> do you find for yourself a real challenge in seeing some of the ideas that you've implemented, you know, some of the technologies you've implemented, even in the studio here. um, Do you find it a challenge to see them constantly evolving? Like the entropy that tends to work its way into projects. Is that tricky to see something you've built needing to be changed all the time? Or or do you get excited by that?
1: I think I struggle with it less in a technical sense or a work sense and more in a personal sense, like an emotional sense. Well, just in personal matters, I guess. Like I find myself building more routines, having more of those sort of structures in my regular life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being more exploratory and looking to change in a lot of like technical work things. So, I I kind of enjoy that. I mean, again, there's a lot of value in reliability and, and sameness and all that, and, and I'm a big proponent of such things, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but well, I do would. I do enjoy change and evolution. And I like those things in my personal life as well, but it's a little more. But I have to remind myself of that, or okay. I have. I guess it's more of a uh, my brain wants to seek routines, and then I have to remind myself that, like, yes, you found this, but like that's going to change soon. Like, it's good, keep doing it. That's good, it's working. But like a background thread pinging you, being like, well, you're, you're probably gonna have to move, or it's gonna be winter and you can't do that anymore, or you know, whatever.
2: Do you find it's easier for you in the technical world in that you have a collection of tools that you can use to to help you move through those changes, and then your personal world?
1: Yes, it, and more control. Oh, in what sense? Usually in the technical domains, I at least have some... I'm usually in, somewhat involved in the implementation or de- decision-making process, so I can decide how much I care. But I really have to care a lot about my own personal life, and I could go live a life where I had more control, but like living in a city and currently renting and doing things that involve other people a lot that can change without my input at all.
2: I guess there are more external factors. There are
1: more external factors. Yeah, exactly.
2: Do you find to bring us back that agreeableness has an effect there? Mm. Like in, in terms of lifestyle, do you tend to shape your lifestyle for how it works for others?
1: Definitely more so than other people than some others do. Yes, that's probably true. Um, not, I don't think in a bad way necessarily. Uh, at least not I all the time. Never said it was bad. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I, that just is what I feel like people think of in that role. It's the general perception, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not like moving to Tahiti right now, or you know, whatever. Like some very like I need to do this, right. and I, I do have those some of those things, but I would say it's more. A, it is more of a balance I would place. More weight relative to to other people, some other people, on like whatever my friendships or established relationships or, you know, yeah, the people how that would affect the people in my life.
2: That sounds so familiar for me because I'm, as you know, traveling quite a bit. Mm, Yes, Um, and so my my friend circles have sort of evolved from being in a certain city to being a little bit scattered. Mm -hmm. You can argue all over North America. Uh, Oh, you can argue even (laughs) farther
1: than that now. Further
2: than that. Um, And so, what I'm exploring these days is the difference between what I generally really struggle with is trying to decide what is best for me and myself emotionally.
1: Mm, Just you alone.
2: Yeah. Versus what should be the answer or what others perceive is the best path. A
1: logical course.
2: Yeah, and so that's true of, of of friend networks and family networks as well. Is that um, while I know while I know I'm traveling lots and I can see all these people as I travel because that's how this all got built up. There's still some weird sense of needing to choose home mm. um, that currently I right. know is is maybe not optimal in the way I've set it up. But in choosing a new home, that's one of the life decisions I find to be one of the most challenging,
1: right? Especially when you have so many options, right? It's not like uh, it's not like you gotta. And I guess I, that that's another aspect too. You know, I've if you were going to go pursue some new degree or whatever, like you would have a limited set, but mm-hmm. you could keep doing whatever you're doing, right?
2: I suppose that's a challenge with having such a free lifestyle as right. well. Is right. that okay? Well, while I absolutely love my lifestyle it has freedom in the sense that i can choose to do whatever i'd like and that is while that sounds lovely and is mostly um right. it also has the challenge of not having any particular direction or you or any, any
1: defaults you gotta choose like yeah. you gotta make each of those decisions all the time
2: so that's something i i generally struggle with and i know you're i think you're looking for a new space to live in and I am at the
1: and, moment yes uh,
2: that can be bring a lot of those same themes, right? Is that, how in the world do you choose?
1: It's funny, this this time too, like I got the news a little bit suddenly that I was going to have to relocate. And I, I've moved a ton. I'm like, it's not it's not really that an big of a deal. Now. And I, honestly, I enjoy the process of moving, not part where you have to lift heavy things a whole bunch. I mean, that, that part's fine too. <laughs> it's mostly the rush of having to move all these things really fast, right? Like, it's just a stressful thing. But I really enjoy the, like, considering new aspects. I think I... I'm building more of a at least in a particular domain of a sense of like what I like and spaces and ideas and that sort of thing. So that's all all very fun. Some about like the suddenness and I think playing on that aspect of control. Like this one I think it was also just like it happened at an inopportune time when I was busy and stressed out about other things. But I found that it really like ungrounded me in a way that I was surprised by. So you're trying to collect yourself. Yeah, so I'm trying so I'm trying to, (laughs) to collect myself. And it was I mean, I've it's kind of at a you know I moved into the city proper because that's that's where all the where the work was, right? Right. Um, and that's no longer what I'm doing. So
2: you have different inputs now,
1: yes. or different filters, right? And so while I had been sort of refining as like, well, I know what it like looks like to live in the city. I know kind of what my options are, and I still have to make some tough calls about like what do I want to do next. Now, if I suddenly found myself being like, not only do I not have the nice luxury of time to go like fart around and think about these ideas. Which you were required, I, which yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I also suddenly have a giant swath of other options that I hadn't previously considered. Um, so th- that's still exciting too. But it definitely took me a little bit out, and it was like a day or two where I was like, "Why am? What am I? Why am I feeling like this? Like, uh-huh. what is like?" the facts don't add up to how this is right. making me feel.
2: So you had to pause and, yeah, to pause for a bit and be like, oh, oh yeah, right.
1: This is what's happening. And I think it, it didn't help you that. I kind of really like my current
2: place. Your place is great. Yeah, for sure. I, I see kind of a link in moving house to traveling in the sense that it, it sort of puts a break in your everyday routines Oh yeah, and forces you to sort of look around, right. And mm-hmm. reevaluate and, and have an opportunity to change things.
1: Yeah. Um, And that's what I I love that aspect and that it's so interesting comparing how you live, you know, because we're all, I mean, we're all living, we all have, have lives and do things and make constant decisions every day. And not in like a judgment way, but just in a, I think I heard it, I think I heard this quote on like, remember the show, what was it, like a Seventh Heaven or something? Like it was like a religious. yeah. yeah. And I think the dad said something like, you know, your like life is basically just like a sum of all of the choices that you make. And I like that idea, even though I think the show was obviously terrible and I was just flipping (laughs) through channels or whatever and and heard this, but it just stuck in my mind. And so it's just interesting to, you know, as you compare each little choice of like, well, when do you push yourself? When do you not? When do you move? When do you not? How do you place yourself in the world? What's the sum you want to get to? It's a good question. I have some ideas. It's pretty much a work in progress. <laughs>
2: As we all are. Uh, one thing I struggle with is the difference in paths, is that if you all of a sudden choose one fork in the road, I struggle with trying to accept that the other fork mm, is now right. no
1: longer possible. you just cut that off. And-
2: which is not always true. You can always sort of uh, reach for um, alternatives later down the road, but they're
1: necessarily going to be different. They're going to be different, right. Do you have any techniques you use to deal with that?
2: uh hold myself closely and cry
1: Mm, right
2: cat Uh, cuddles maybe cats help certainly no i it's something i've struggled with that i don't know that i've found the answer to for myself Mm -hmm. um and there is some perfectionism
1: in that right you want to make the best choice right you don't have all the information because you can't
2: but sometimes both options are equally good Mm -hmm. only for varied reasons and so then my toolkit is empty of tools to help me deal with that right And so I can be very slow at making those types of decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Choosing home, I guess, fits into that realm a little bit.
1: It is, you know, I think it's hard too. There's, there's probably an element of whatever agreeability and logicalness. You know, it's like some of those bigger ideas. It's hard if you aren't falling in love with them, you know. Because if it is one of those things, you're just like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, I, I was driving to this place. I love this town. I'm already working remotely. I want to live there. I'm going to go do it. If you can fall in love with this idea so much, then it's, then everything's easy. I mean, you might still have a lot of problems, but. Makes it easier. There's so many things in life that just aren't, you know, just, it's like, meh, okay, I got to make this choice. I know that it matters a whole bunch and we'll have a bunch of outcomes I can't foresee. But it's probably both are fine. Right. What do, some, you do, what do you do? I mean, you flip a coin, I guess, at the end of the day, but.
2: The coins are really useful. That's for sure. Um, but you never really trust what they say. So. Or There's flip someone,
1: a smartphone, I think. I don't know that we have <laughs> coin are, money. <laughs>
2: that sounds a bit more expensive if it all goes wrong. <laughs> There's someone I really love named uh, Derek Sivers. Do you know him at all? Um, he I don't think so. built CD Baby. And, uh, oh, okay. Um, but one thing he... I guess it's a concept that he's sort of spread around, which is um, he calls hell yeah or no.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
2: Which boils down to either you feel very jazzed about an idea and you say, hell yeah, I want to do that. Or you should just say no to it. Right. And while that seems really simple to implement, um, I've actually noticed that it's, it's profound in that for those of us who are agreeable and tend to go along with what seems like okay ideas right or okay paths that others set for us or convince us to follow or or what it may be um it's almost like a preset filter that allows you to tap into how you feel you know just mm-hmm. ask the question well mm-hmm. how do i feel about this and often i found that pause is enough to convince you of what you actually feel instead of what yes. you're sort of empathizing
1: with In a maybe related thing that just makes me think you're talking a little bit about friend circles yeah. and other and i feel like that applies a lot too like there's the difference between like being around people friends and like more meaningful friendships and uh, both are fine i mean you know there's nothing nothing wrong with that but it just thinks a lot you know like you sometimes you have those moments where you you finally ask that question and you're like i mean like why am i it's not that it's bad right but you're just like these aren't my people or this is not my venue and i I don't up here i don't have to be here
2: (laughs) right (laughs) but that can sometimes be a difficult thing is saying wait Mm -hmm. i'm I don't feel like I should be here, and therefore I'm, I will leave.
1: And I think it'd be hard, too, if you don't necessarily... You might not have an immediate replacement, too, right? So it's like, well, come out and do this thing with us, and, or do nothing. I mean, not you probably won't yeah. do nothing, but at the time, it feels that way.
2: So maybe we should all have our own defaults. If we're doing nothing, we can just do something that we really love, or yes. find really useful.
1: I'm ah, trying to do better at that. Um, I mean, because I've, I've had both... Set the, your quote made me think of the opposite advice, with it, which I think is said a lot of like just trying to say yes to more things which is i think applicable in different scenarios and it probably depends on what what phase you're going through because that can be really good if you've just moved or exploring something new or need change in your life
2: like it's tied to a sense of adventure as opposed to a sense of um not being so busy or or optimizing the tasks you do have time for Mm -hmm. curious um, I, I've mentioned a few books. I think are there books you're reading recently that really get you jazzed?
1: I um, am rereading because I read it very quickly and wanted to read it again. Um, it's a book. Getting the name of the author right now, but surely we'll have show notes or some such that we yeah add we can too. come up with such a, such a thing. I imagine we have the technology. Um, it's called "Why Buddhism Is True," which is a ridiculous title, but is very much a. Um, book about the more I don't want it to just say like science based but more um, secular side I guess of Buddhism and I think it hits a lot on some of the topics we've talked about and just that it, it ties it a lot to because the author um, has a lot of biology knowledge and mm-hmm. psychology and sort of twists those ideas together and kind of points out like here's some of the things that Buddhism teaches and here's kind of like why these make sense once you understand like how your brain works and why and like The things you know, all of what we are is, I mean, the image painted from our brains as it's exposed, right? Like the brain creates our understanding and view of the world. Of course, you should know that it doesn't. You know, it lies is maybe too strong of a word, but it has other incentives and programming built into it than just what we are or as part of us. However, you want to conceptualize mind, and you should be aware. You should be thinking about that. But I really liked it too because there has been a lot of buddhism and buddhist teachings that i've enjoyed but i struggle with some of the more mystical elements Uh of it it just doesn't strike my not that i don't appreciate some of the history or culture but as practical advice that's just not my jam i want like science yeah Uh, so i found this book really nice as a way to a learn more about buddhism and b i just thought it had a lot of good practical advice
2: yeah it sounds like it leans a little bit more towards um what you can implement Mm -hmm. and yet not necessarily have the depth of spirituality that sometimes is, is required for for some
1: yes and yeah so there's like that was actually what first got me meditating too because it's kind of like the author describes an experience of like going to like a whole meditation camp and then right. like coming out of the end being like and talking a little bit about their experience of figuring out how to actually get that in their day-to-day life and the things that did matter and didn't matter to them about that and what they actually took away and sort of interesting case it like yeah okay I see. I see what you're getting at here, but I don't need a shaman to, you know, mm-hmm. sit with me in a very hot room for hours. I
2: mean, <laughs> you're assuming the room's hot.
1: <laughs> maybe if we take the right drugs, but otherwise, no. <laughs>
2: um, I have found, in the same way, this exploration of those kind of um, the desire to understand your own mind, mm-hmm. to then optimize it for the tasks that you generally have to solve. Yes. Um, be it technical tasks, but also tasks such as choosing what to work on right, uh, and choosing how to work on it. Mm. Um, gaining knowledge of how your own mind works. Well, this general schooling we're exposed to doesn't really dive into those topics. No. And so I found that same curiosity of like, well, wait a second. Like I know my mind is all over the place and that it can also be hyper focused. Yeah. And how do I understand the difference between those two and, and, guide it in the ways that I need to when I need
1: to yes and I think a lot of like what tools we are provided by mm-hmm. whatever traditional society mm-hmm. they're all wrapped up in like judgments and shame too oh. right like there are all these like prescriptive things like you shouldn't do this or you know that's a bad idea just just because and like there is a, yeah that probably is a bad idea we know like history shows us that that doesn't work but it's a bad idea just because you know you should know it's because your brain works or at least be informed so that you can be you know make different decisions or be more insightful as you go down whatever path you're going to go down right
2: when someone tells you if that you should or shouldn't do something do you find yourself needing to understand the
1: why before depends on the situation uh but yeah generally yes i'm a i'm a why kind of person and so like definitely like the best you know managers or bosses or whatever have been able to do that it's like you know really it's like i like to separate those Hmm. because if i've agreed there's multiple concerns here so there's like the imposed authority sort of situation right. which let's let's put that out the window for yep. now in the situation where i've agreed that i'll do what you say for money or whatever i'm okay with that pre prearranged agreement as long as a i can tell you if i think what you're doing telling me to do is dumb i will still do it if you make me uh, <laughs> make is you know ask or whatever right, right. um the other side of that is I want to know why, regardless, just because I want help. Like, I want to do it the best I can. And if I don't know why, I can't do that.
2: I find that to be a real, real challenge for me, too, is that if I don't know why, then I can't optimize the task at hand yes. to create the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Because none of this stuff is really linear, right? Like,
1: no, and it's all within, in situ, you know, there's, there's context around that if I don't know, like, you just can't can't anticipate, and sometimes maybe you can't know. And that's okay as a temporary sort of answer, but at least get that far.
2: Yeah, context is a great word for that. Um, I, That's a way simpler way to explore it for me, is that uh, I need some context to understand the path.
1: I was listening to a really interesting interview on the way up to the studio today, talking about some issues in language education and young children, and how a lot of the f- approaches today kind of focus on like, separating things so that, you know, you learn how to learn, which is good. It's not that that's bad, but, like, you remember those standardized tests where you have, like, a nonsense passage, and then you have to identify, like, what are the points, and what are the three, or what's the main topic, what are the three supporting arguments in here? Yes. And while that is useful, all the studies then went and showed that, like, while that can be good, like, if you have kids who are either good, you know, scored on some, like, reading comprehension scale, and then you present them passages about different subjects... What really matters is how much they know about that subject, you know? So, like, if you don't know anything about the subject, even if you're great at trying to understand it, you might get farther, but you're still going to do worse than someone with, quote-unquote, poor reading comprehension who knows even a little bit about that subject. I just thought it was interesting, especially hearing discussions about this with adults, how much context in the world we take for granted and just don't talk about and how kids don't have that. Wow. And many times we don't either, right? If you're traveling or in a new situation, but it's almost impossible to see if you already have it. I love this.
2: In travel, because you mentioned travel, Mm -hmm. um, you can easily clearly see this if you travel to a place for the first time. It's total chaos in your mind trying to figure out all the pieces and how they all fit together. There are no systems. No. And then... But if you've ever come back to that, let's say you travel to the same city for the same reason three months later, and Mm. you've already been through the path, you've got all this context to figure it out. And so if you're throwing some curveballs, it's like, well, I've already figured out 80% of this, so I can deal with this curveball far Mm -hmm. easier. Uh, Wow, I can see how that could apply to much more than just the education uh, aspect. Fascinating. Do you remember what the podcast was called?
1: Well, it was on the local... um public radio station here in seattle so i can certainly find it um cool. i don't remember the name of the uh author's less researcher that's so all right we'll see fun. if we can
2: link it i think we can uh we have the technology mm-hmm. <laughs> well wes um thanks for chatting uh i admit i wasn't sure where this was gonna go but it's gone in, in all sorts of fascinating topics so Everywhere. let's do this again super fun
1: you're still making brunch next time right
2: uh we'll see about that <laughs> thanks Wes.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I absolutely loved that conversation. The brunches are the best. You can find more over at extras.show. You can find this show's website at coder.show. Links to what the guys talked about today is at coder.show slash 412. Thank you to our Coder QA members who helped make this show possible. You do have a new Coderly, so go grab that. You can also find our contact form as well as our RSS feed and everything else over at our website. And we'd love to have you join us live for the Coder Radio Happy Hour. Live Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv. It's a lot more fun when you watch it live, but we appreciate everyone who downloads, too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Coda Radio program. See you right back here next week.